0: good morning again, everyone. Let me start off this morning by getting a little vulnerable and sharing a man fail that I did the last couple weeks or so. I'll leave it to you to judge whether this is a major man fail. Hopefully, though, this is more on the scale of of minor man fail. Here's, Here's what I'm talking about. A few weeks ago, my wife and I noticed we started having some problems with the sprinkler system that we've got installed at our place. You guys know what it's supposed to look like when a sprinkler system is working properly. The sprinkler head shoots up out of the ground, kind of with some force, you know, which is really cool. And then, then it starts shooting water out onto your lawn, five feet or ten feet or however, however far it is. Well, a, a few weeks ago on an evening I noticed that our sprinkler system wasn't doing that anymore. The, the, the sprinkler heads weren't shooting up and instead of water kind of shooting out there like we know it's supposed to, instead there's just this little dribble of water coming out of each of our sprinkler heads. It's like someone turned on a water fountain, not a super soaker. And so, I am by no means the handyman, diagnose-it, do-it-yourself sort of guy. So the first thing I do is is call the repair guy. That might be kind of man-fail part one, you know? So I call the repair guy, and about a week and a half ago, this guy from our sprinkler company finally comes out. He looks at things he can't figure out what's going on either. He runs all sorts of pressure tests enough to know that we're not getting pressure to our sprinkler system. He hooks up all these cool little things to the, to the box we've got installed in our garage to find out if electricity's getting there, electricity's getting there, but, what, but pressure's not. So, so he says, I don't know what's going on. So, so we look at it together for about an hour and finally we just say, forget it. You know, Let's just wait until... This spring. We'll tackle it then. We're not going to ru- be running the sprinkler system anymore this fall or over the winter, obviously. So I said, let's just, let's just go ahead and blow out our system. Let's winterize it. For the next few months, we'll, we'll tackle it again in March or April or August, you know, or whenever we get around to running our sprinkler system again. So he goes downstairs, hooks up this, I think it's a compression hose to our, to our water line to blow out the system. If you guys have sprinkler systems, you kind of know what that looks like. Uh, while he's down there hooking up uh, this, uh, this hose, he notices the, the main water valve to our house, kind of there's this main pipe that runs up out of our floor, and he notices, oh, let's try to turn that main water valve t- two times. And so, so he, he turns it two times enough to realize that we weren't getting all the water pressure to our house that we were supposed to do. So, so what that means is, we hadn't been living nearly up to the capacity of our indoor plumbing, what it would have allowed us to do. So, so that's kind of obvious fix number one. He kind of looks at me, says, did, did you know that you hadn't been, been getting water pressure to your house for however long? And I kind of do the man fail ownership thing where I just kind of go, uh, dot, 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 you know, kind of the stall to kind of say, okay, let's move on to something else. But in the back of my mind, the whole time, I'm thinking, What? You mean that's the reason that every time that we've been running the sink or someone's been taking a shower while the washer or the dishwasher or whatever's been going on, that's why the, the water goes down to a sprinkle there too? Now, a, a man would have figured that out. <laughs> but me, I'm, I'm just used to living that way. We had been living with low water pressure for so long that, that I had gotten accustomed to it. Again, for, for weeks, we had been living well under the capacity of our indoor plumbing. And rather than, rather than working to diagnose it, we just got content with it and figured, oh man, bummer, that I guess that's just the way things are going to be. And so, so that's kind of my man-fail story. Hopefully it's minor, you know, we could, we could hug afterwards men and share our own stories. But, but let me show you where, where I'm going with that, because that story has a point. Sometimes I, I wonder if, as Christians, we can settle for a low-pressure or a diminished experience of the life that God wants for us. And and just so we're clear on this, here's what that life that God wants for us, here's what that looks like. God wants us to bask in his love, to, to eagerly follow his good leadership of our lives, and to lean into his grace, to run to it. God wants us to have the confidence that comes from knowing that we are fully known, but at the same time that, that we are fully loved by him. He wants us to appreciate all of the acceptance and the security that that offers us. But, but too often, when our lives don't come close to this, when w- maybe when God's love becomes just an idea to us, or, or when we start to question, does God really love me? Can God still love me after I've done this again and again and again and again? We start to settle for for that diminished experience as the normal Christian life, instead of saying, no, let's pursue the ideal, let's pursue the ideal that God wants for us. We we can settle for this low-pressure Christian life instead of of registering that that's not what God wants for us. And so, so here's what we do. This morning I want to take us to just that obvious place, that water valve of the Christian life, that, that, that first thing that we should diagnose to say, okay, if, if this is our experience and this is what God wants for us, if there's a gap there, here's, here's the first place we go at addressing things. And what that means is, is we need to consider the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's why the person and work of the Holy Spirit is so important. Here's why we should all be dialed in this morning. It's because the Spirit of God drives the work of God home to our hearts. The, the, the Spirit of God drives the work of God home to our hearts. That that work of God is that Christ loves you. That work of God is that you have identity and purpose and meaning and belonging, and acceptance, and a hundred other things that are true because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But, but the scary thing to me is, is that this work of God, this great work of God, that should blow us all away, if we really get it, that, that can either remain just an idea to us, or, or, or that will become just an idea to us, without the Spirit of God actively working in our hearts, without the Spirit of God driving that work of God home to our hearts. For, for some of us here this morning, Christianity has always been just a specimen for you to study. It's, it's neuroscience, it's psychology, it's sociology. But, but the work of God is just, just, just an idea. But, but for others of us, even those of us who would call ourselves Christ followers, it's easy for the work of God to become this way when we're no longer blown away by the work God did to save us. We can look back on the conversion experience we had and we remember how we loved God so much at that time, how we were blown away by his grace. But, but we can also acknowledge that, that if we're not careful, we can just start going through the motions. And that intimacy that we had with God becomes just a thing that we're familiar with in a bad sense. So for all of us this morning, I want to encourage us to, to, to come back to everything God has done for us in Christ. I, I want this to take on fresh significance for everyone here, whether you're on the outside of Christianity looking in or whether you've been following Jesus for a long time. I want us to reappreciate Christ's work for us in fresh ways, and for that, we need the Holy Spirit. One of my professors in seminary wrote a thick book on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and I ran across this quote that is perfect for our time here this morning that, that shows us how badly we need the Holy Spirit. Here's what my professor, Graham Cole, wrote. He says, Indeed, without the Spirit, we are left with only A decaffeinated faith. I love that. I'm a caffeine drinker, you know. But, But without the Spirit, we're left with only a decaffeinated faith. Without the Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is simple organization. Authority is domination. Mission is propaganda. Worship is just the summoning of spirits. And Christian action is the morality of slaves. Without the Spirit, that's what we're reduced to, right? But, but, but let's, let's leave that quote up there. Let's turn that around. Let's see what happens with the Spirit in our lives. So, so with the Spirit, God is near. With the Spirit, Christ is present. With the Spirit, the gospel is living and active in our lives. With the Spirit, the church is family. Authority is service. Mission is authentic. Worship is responding and relating to God. And and Christian morality is the privilege and the desire of sons and daughters. We need the Spirit. Suddenly we see that the Holy Spirit certainly is a crux-type issue for our lives as believers. In just a minute, I I want to take us into, into the book of John, into John 14, and we're going to see two truths about the Spirit's identity that will help us appreciate God's work for us in fresh ways. But first, I want to take a chance to do a little Holy Spirit 101. Some of you here may be new to church. Some of you here maybe just haven't taken the chance to think deeply and intentionally about who the Holy Spirit is. You've, you've heard us talk about them, but you're like, I don't really know who that is, what that means. And so, so I want to use this as an opportunity to say, what are, at least at the high level, what are two basic truths, before we move into John 14, that we need to be on the same page with. So, so first thing, the Holy Spirit is fully God. We, we, we've got to know that. I'm not going to take a whole lot of time to defend this. We can do that later if you want. Uh, but the Holy Spirit is fully God. He's the third person of the Christian trinity. What this means is that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about God. That's a big deal. We should be dialed into what we can learn about the Holy Spirit then because we're learning about God as we do so. Second, big thing, Holy Spirit 101 type stuff we've got to hear is that the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit isn't some impersonal, these aren't the droids you're looking for, sort of force, you know? The Holy Spirit isn't, isn't an energy that we channel at our disposal, or or, or for ourselves. The Holy Spirit isn't something we use. The Holy Spirit is someone we relate to. That's big, because so often we think the Holy Spirit is is just the conduit through which God's energy works. No, the Holy Spirit is God, and he's a person that we relate to. So that's that high-level stuff, but let's, let's move into John 14, because I want to get really specific today and look at two truths that will drive the work of God home to our hearts in fresh ways. We're not just going to stop at describing the work of the Holy Spirit. Instead, I want to make sure that we, we keep ourselves accountable to also saying, so what does this mean for us? So after our two major points this morning, we're going to say not just what do we learn about the Holy Spirit, but what does that mean for, for our experience, for our lives today and this week. And so to come back to the statement I, I've been using, the, the Holy Spirit drives the work of God home to our hearts. Let's read John 14, verses 15 to 27, and see how Jesus teaches his disciples about how this takes shape. I encourage you to follow along with me. John 14, verse 15. Jesus is speaking, and he says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long, The world won't see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord... and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled, and don't be afraid. First truth that I want to draw out of this passage is that the Spirit draws our attention to Jesus. The Spirit draws our attention to Jesus. Let's see how that works. Track with me. Right right away in verse 16, early on in that passage I just read, we see Jesus promising the Holy Spirit and he calls him another advocate. Now, uh, if if we're tracking along here, it doesn't take much to see that this assumes that there is a first advocate that the Holy Spirit comes after in one of John's other writings, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, we see that Jesus is the first advocate, it's, 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 it, it, and there's even more with that. When Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another advocate, in the original Greek, so we'll, we'll get real deep here for a second, hang with me, uh, that, that word for another that Jesus uses, that just means another of the same kind. Okay, so, so I'm promising you another advocate of the same kind. There's another Greek word that Jesus could have used to indicate another of a different kind. And so all that means is Jesus is comparing apples to apples here, not apples to oranges. But, but so what that means when we boil all this down and, and when we see that the Holy Spirit is another advocate, this just shows us, here's the point of this, that the Holy Spirit doesn't take us in a different direction than Jesus. The Holy Spirit keeps reinforcing that groove that Jesus came to dig into our lives, if I can say it that way. He he comes to keep reinforcing that same teaching and work that Jesus Christ came for. The Spirit is about drawing our attention to Jesus. But, But we see this even more clearly, I think, in verse 17, where we see this other title, that Jesus gives the Spirit, where he says, the Holy Spirit isn't just another, an, another advocate. He is that, but he's also what? The Spirit of truth. If we were just reading through the book of John, we would know that, that earlier in this same chapter in John, about 10 or 11 verses before in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Within, about, with, with this, within the span of about 10 verses, Jesus says he's the truth, and then he says the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. A reader of John wouldn't miss that connection, and so neither should we. The Holy Spirit, part of what he does is draws our attention back to the person who is the truth, Jesus Christ. Let me just read two other passages from this same conversation Jesus is having with his disciples that drive this home even more. Flip open your Bibles, turn with me to John 15, verse 26. Still talking about the spirit of truth, this title. Listen to how Jesus explains that. Verse 26, same conversation again. All my words are read right here in my Bible, right? And so so when the advocate comes, Jesus says, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, there's that same title, who goes out from the Father, what will he do? He will testify about me. The Spirit draws attention to Jesus. Flip over one more chapter in your Bibles to John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, where Jesus says again there, but when he, the Spirit of truth, same title, When he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He won't speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And then listen to this. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So the Spirit is about drawing our attention to Jesus Christ. Theologian J.I. Packer, he says the Spirit has a floodlight ministry, is the way he, he describes it. Just, just like a spotlight points away from itself to highlight some other thing, so too the Holy Spirit points away from himself to highlight the work of Jesus Christ. So, so if that's what the Spirit does, if, that, if that's what he wants to do in our lives, Let's push on to that next question we need to ask. So what? What does that mean for us? Here's what I think it means. If the Spirit is about making much of Jesus, then we need to be about making much of Jesus. For one, this means that Jesus needs to be a big deal in our lives, Brookside, in our lives individually a sure indication of the Spirit's activity in our lives. If you want to know how the Spirit is at work in your lives, if you want to ask, is the Spirit really at work here? The first question to ask isn't, isn't, am I having some sort of sensational experience? That's sometimes where we want to go, but no. I think Jesus would say, the first question we need to ask to know if the Spirit is active in our lives is, do we make much of Jesus? Are we still wrecked? in a good way, by the, by the amazing grace that he has shown us by coming to earth in our place and dying for us in our place so we could, so we could know God. Does that still do anything to us? Or is that just an idea? May God be pleased through his spirit to, to wreck us still by his amazing grace, by, by making much of Jesus in us. But, th- but this also means that, that, that Jesus has made much of through us. Again, another sure indicator of the Spirit's work in our lives is, is when we want what the Spirit wants. And if the Spirit wants to make much of Jesus, if the Spirit wants to make much of Jesus, then we should want to make much of Jesus to others as well. This is about sharing our faith. This is about reaching across the street and around the globe to, to incrementally, over the course of a relationship, let people know that Jesus is a big deal in our lives and that we care about them and that God loves them too and has shown that in Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna say anything more on that point of the Spirit working through this, but let me just look ahead to next week, because this is what Steve's gonna be talking about. It's, uh, it's a challenging topic, sharing our faith. I know it is for me, can I be honest? It's always awkward for me. It never feels natural. But it is so important. It's vital. We need to hear it. Because as we come to terms with what we've learned about the Spirit here in John 14, we we can share our faith because the Holy Spirit is in us, but we should want to share our faith. So so come back next week. Okay, let me move on to our next major point. The, The Spirit draws attention to Jesus, but... Point two, the Spirit also enables intimacy with God. The Spirit enables intimacy with God. Just a a few weeks ago, probably is when it was, a story went viral on the Internet that some of you may have heard about. There was a 15-year-old Florida orphan boy. His name is Davian Only. He took the initiative to talk to his caseworker and, and say, I'm 15 years old. Uh, I've not been adopted. I know that the statistics for me being adopted get less each year. I think the statistics say that after nine, the chance for adoption goes down dramatically for, for kids that, that grew up without a, mo- without a mom and a dad. So, so he takes the initiative to, to talk to his caseworker and, and say, can I go before a church in Florida in the Tampa area and plead with them with, for, for someone to adopt me? So so here's what this 15-year-old boy says to this congregation of God's people. Here's what the Tampa Bay Times recorded. He says, I'll take anyone, old or young, dad or mom, black, white, purple. I don't care. And I would be really appreciative, the best I could be. Can you just imagine the longing for belonging in that plea? Do you hear his cry for acceptance and security and and secure love to be shown to him? The thing is, I am convinced that even for those of us who grew up in really healthy and stable homes, we all have that same desire for intimacy, for relationship, for stability, for belonging, to know that we are unconditionally known, but also unconditionally accepted. We're all looking for this. And one of the great and central and most beautiful truths of our Christian faith is that through the Holy Spirit, this sort of intimacy with God, this sort of belonging, this sort of security, is made possible for anyone who comes to God and trusts in Jesus Christ by faith. Look with me at John 14, 18 to 20. I'm just going to read these. These drive home this relationship with God that is made possible through the Spirit. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world won't see me anymore, but you will see me because I live you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And then in verse 23, just a few verses down, Jesus, Jesus says, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. Through the Spirit, we are adopted into God's family. That should do something inside of us. We should appreciate that, not just as a, huh, that's an interesting point. We should appreciate that as in a, I feel the acceptance and the love and the belonging and the security that that provides. No place this, captures this better than Galatians chapter 4, verses 4-7. to Here the Apostle Paul writes, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. That we might receive what? That we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but now you are a son. You're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. It's not tough to connect the dots between this adopting role of the Spirit and what that means for us. This means that we are never left wondering if God accepts us. This means we are never left wondering if anyone will take us. It means we're never left wondering if we're abandoned or rejected. The resounding voice of the Holy Spirit would say, no, God loves you. I am in you. We... You are in God. He is in you. And all the intimacy that that makes possible. And So so if we were in Davian-only shoes, standing before a congregation of people, pleading with someone to adopt us, asking for someone to invite us into their family, we wouldn't have even gotten done with our plea before Jesus comes running down the aisle saying, you're not an orphan. I love you. God loves you. You're adopted. I'm in you. You're in me. We're never left abandoned through God's Holy Spirit. And so, if the Spirit's role is to draw our attention to Jesus Christ and and to help us experience the intimacy that a relationship with God opens up for us, then, then maybe the most spiritual thing we can do right now Spiritual, the capital S. The most spiritual thing we can do right now is observe the Lord's Supper. Because, because this, Brookside, is, is when we focus our attention on Jesus Christ. And we know that's what the Spirit wants us to do. This is when we pause to remind ourselves in a very tangible way of everything that Christ's work has made available to us. That includes adoption into God's family and the security and the belonging. That that opens up for us. And so now I invite our hosts to come forward. And they're going to go ahead and just begin distributing the trays. Most of you know how this works. At Brookside, we practice an open communion. That means anyone here who's a follower of Jesus Christ and has placed their trust in him, we invite you to participate with us uh, re- remember to reach deep into the trays and uh, grab two cups that are stacked on top of one another. That's everything you need. And then, and then I'll, go ahead and hang on to that. I'll come back up in a few minutes and lead us through taking the, the bread and the cup together. But, but while we're sitting here listening to Rob and the team play, let's let the Spirit do what the Spirit wants to do in our lives. Making much of Jesus by reflecting on his sacrifice for us on the cross and experiencing the intimacy with God that is made possible through him.